0: Hi, the Investing Edge listeners, it's Daniel. I'm pleased to introduce another installment from Jay Minsmeyer's Virtual Investor Forum on COVID-19 and the Oil Price War. The forum ran last week on Value Investors Edge, Jay's marketplace service, and featured 15 interviews with shipping industry experts, investors, and management teams about the fast-moving market environment we're in. We're sharing our second public episode from that today on Value Investors Edge Live. It features TK LNG partner CEO Mark Kremen and their CFO, Scott Gayton. We hear their commitment to their capital allocation plans, the LNG market dynamics, and what risks they do or don't see from their counterparties. You can check out the transcript and full coverage on Value Investor's Edge on Seeking Alpha by searching for Value Investor's Edge on Jay Mincemeyer, that's M-I-N-T-Z-M-Y-E-R, or going to seekingalpha.com slash marketplace to search for the same. In any case, I hope you enjoy.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another iteration of our live investor forum uh, focusing on the coronavirus impacts to the market as well as the recent oil price war. Also looking a little bit at some of the transitions of IMO 2020 as we're about three months into the year. Uh, this morning we we're hosting TK LNG Partners, we have uh, CEO Mark Kremen and CFO Scott Gaten on the line with us this morning uh, to talk to us about uh, their company and their specific uh, interest in the LNG space. Uh, more specifically with TK, looking at some of the longer term backlog deals and, and some of the situations in that market. Uh, Mark and Scott, uh, good morning. Welcome.
2: Good morning, Jane. Good morning, everyone.
1: Yeah, excellent. Thanks again for, for joining us. I understand you are teleworking today, so uh, calling in separately and, and, and dealing with those challenges. Uh, just to disclosure, before we begin, I do have long exposure to TGP. Uh, nothing you hear on the call today constitutes investment advice in any form from myself, uh, nor official company guidance uh, from TKLNG. Uh, Mark and Scott, again, welcome. Uh, let's, let's start off talking about the obvious. Let's talk about the coronavirus uh, impacts. Uh, before we start talking about the market impacts, uh, let's just talk about sort of the work environment, uh, both for yourself on the shore side, but also for the seafarers, all right? Uh, what sort of mitigation measures are you taking and, and, and how has, you know, the day to day, I guess, operations and routines changed over the past month or two?
2: Well, sure. Um, as 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 you said earlier, Jay, we're both working from from home today, and that's pretty much the case for um, most of our C staff. We do have some systems, and we have offices worldwide, uh, whether it's in Glasgow or Singapore or, or elsewhere. Where we in Manila, for instance, where we have folks coming in to use some systems. But for the most part, we're working remotely, and we've been doing that at least um, at least all week, and. It, so far, so good, and so that's that's the shore side, relatively easy. Um, on the, the seafarer side, it's a bit more it's a bit more difficult, and this is not unique to us, but the entire industry. We've seen some headlines recently from Maersk about them stopping crew changes, and we've done the same starting this week. And have uh, some of our I should say all of our joint part, joint venture partners and customers that we can see in the gas industry have done this. What's been happening is it's difficult to to get guys on and off at at most, most ports. There are very few ports that are are open right now to people that can get on and off without a quarantine. And so we've been extending the contracts for the officers, and we've been extending contracts for our ratings. And so far, again, all all is well. Um, all the officers and ratings have been accommodating to this. Obviously, it's an inconvenience for them, um, but they've been very accommodating. Now, to the extent this goes on for, for several weeks or, or months, you know, obviously we have to revisit. But certainly where we're at right now, um, it seems like uh, something to be managed for at least a few more weeks. The other issue that we're seeing um, on the operational side is, is the service engineers. So those um the major suppliers of the engines and the parts. Have to basically stopped coming out to the the ships, so that'll be something. Uh, hopefully, we're sp- everyone's spared up. We do have all our critical spares in order for our LNG, fleet, and, and the same will go with dry docks. There's been a lot of dry dock shifting in the world, and in terms of people, we're going to go to China and now. They're going to go to somewhere else. Maybe now they're thinking, well, I should go to China in two months instead of trying to go to uh, someplace that's a little bit behind the curve on the coronavirus. So again, just to kind of wrap this up, we've on the on the operational side, it's certainly more than the shore side, but manageable. And I'm sure we're going to get into the commercial and financial aspects of COVID, if you wish.
1: Yeah, let's. Uh, I think that's a good transition. Let, let's talk about the direct market impacts uh, to the LNG market, and then more specifically, uh, the impacts that are relevant for TK LNG and and you are a company and and for investors to consider right now.
2: Okay. Well. The, the commercial aspects so far have been not have, – we haven't seen any significant – we've seen, frankly, no force majeure, no signs of force majeure or cancellation or anything of the sort. We are still carrying cargoes to China, and we carried it all the way through, and we've been carrying cargoes everywhere else. And I, if I understand the news is, and everyone's reading the same news, it looks like China's starting to re-gear a little bit. So we never stopped uh, carrying there, there anyway. We had a couple of deviations earlier on. Um, we've seen a couple cancellations out of the United States earlier on that we, involving our, our ships, but the, the, the cargo still sailed from one place to another. So the commercial aspects, again, were, we haven't been seeing any signs. The, the rates have come down, at least in the near term, on the spot rates that we're seeing. We see a lot of uh, ships. We see a lot of subcharters of our own ships out there. And I guess the good news, just for kind of TPP, is we are uh, 98% fixed for the year. We have, um, and we're also only 90, we're 93% fixed next year. So we have very little spot exposure amongst our our 47 LNG carriers. Specifically, we only have um, the two ships coming off in around June, and that'll be for the year. And we only own uh, 52% of those. So we have the equivalent of about one ship becoming available in the second half of of this year. So we're feeling um, very insulated um, uh, from a spot exposure standpoint this year and and also next year. Again, we're we're only doing it down down to 93% next year. So that's um, I'm happy to take further questions from you Jay, but that's that's where the commercial side is, I think.
1: Yeah, no, thank you Mark. I, I think it's, you know, important to realize, you know, from the TKLNG perspective that you're majority, not quite 100%, but almost as close as you can get, uh, is fixed for 2020. So a lot of this volatility that we're seeing is I mean, it's good to watch it, right? And and consider, you know, where the underlying markets are at, right? But in terms of this investment, it's it's a different uh, different sort of perspective. Um, have any has anything changed, I guess, fundamentally um, in the long-term supply and demand of of LNG and and shipping? Uh, therefore, uh, for t- say 21, 22, 23, as you start to look longer into future, and it, I guess related to that, uh, does this recent oil price war? Uh, does that impact the LNG space at all in, in the near term or even into the me- intermediate term?
2: Yes, I think both the virus and the, the oil price war both affect FIDs, and um, that could include the United States. It could include, include elsewhere. I think that FIDs have to have been pushed out for um, as long as we can skip comfort on this again, so at least several months. Um, we don't have any, as I mentioned, we don't have any speculative new builds on order. We don't have any ships that we're relying on FIDs taking place earlier than or later. It's hopefully not going to affect us too much if FIDs get pushed out. It's still part of our, our, our capital allocation program, but it's obviously going to be something that's less important to us. Um, and um, so that, that is, I think, the main issue is that, is that new growth has been delayed by the time this takes place.
1: It'll be it'll be interesting to see how it develops and, and if we see, you know, sort of the same growth expectations that we had a year or two ago, right? We we had uh... Qatar, of course, was talking about their major LNG uh, new build growth program, and of course, we were looking at major U.S. export facilities. Like Tellurian, uh Driftwood was one of them, right? And then uh, we we talked about potential expansion out of Chenier. and and I think a lot of that stuff, at least right now, the the capex is getting halted, or you know, deals are not going forward. Um, have you seen anything more in regard to to uh, I guess future growth projects uh, changing? Um, I guess specifically also, because I know you're kind of watching the Qatar new builds, has anything changed in that regard or does that seem to be business as usual for now?
2: It seems to be business as usual. We haven't heard otherwise, but neither have we heard that it's it's going forward. The timelines um, were previously expected to be uh, by now, and that goes not just but for Qatar, but by some under tenders that we were watching closely. So, and we've received official notice from some other tenders. I won't we'll go into uh, specific names, but we can see that the tenders are being delayed. They're not saying they're not going to happen, but um, at least they're saying nothing or that they are officially saying, hey, we're delayed by a, by a by a month or a few months whenever this takes place. So we are, yes, we are seeing the FIDs being delayed right now.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's certainly, uh, you know, interesting to watch, for, you know, from the, I guess, supply of, of LNG onto the market, which, of course, will lead to the demand for shipping, right? And it, it's pretty obvious that, that some of those big uh, export facility projects are are getting at least slightly delayed, right? I mean, when, when we're talking about export facilities that come online in 22 or 23, I think it's right. I think we agree it's, it's pretty premature, right, after just a month of this to, to, to you know, kind of... Uh, start pontificating about that. Uh, but in the near term, right I mean it's, it, it's a clear uh, clear disruption there. Um, so you're focused on a, basically managing this portfolio of long-term contracts. I, the, the backlog is somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 billion. Uh, one of the questions I get a lot from investors when we're talking about TKLNG is, you know is there any concern of counterparty defaults is question one? Right, and then I guess question two is, uh, what about force majeure? Is that a risk uh, that TKLNG need, uh, has to take? So, Mark or Scott, if you don't mind addressing those two points,
2: um, maybe I'll go ahead with this. Um, this one, right now, we're seeing no signs. As I mentioned um, earlier, we do have the backlog, as you've mentioned, it's ten billion dollars over around eleven years. So, it's very important to us that our long-term contracts um, stay in place, and these are in the money contracts. So. Um, that's uh, it's something we, we watch very closely. We're going to be doing a deeper dive, certainly on the force majeure this, this, this week, in fact. But the signs so far have been n- the, the cargoes, and that's from coming from the customers. The cargoes are still moving. They've never stopped moving throughout this, this period. Even As I said, when China was, was experiencing this uh, long before the United States, for instance, we never saw cargoes stop moving. And we haven't seen any signs of force majeure. We're going to do a deep um, dive, as I said, into the contracts. But I, I don't expect at this point we're going to have any, any reason to, uh, to believe that force majeure could be, uh, could be a significant risk for us.
1: What about uh, the other part of that question on the counterparty uh, strengths and weaknesses? Uh, maybe if you don't mind uh, just mentioning for investors, I know it's in your filings and, and so on, but what are your top you know, five or so counterparties? And and just so folks can kind of be tracking what they're looking at there.
2: Well, first of all, we have a, a, a sort of a guideline. It's a policy, more than a guideline, because we do follow it very closely. But none of our customers have more than 20 percent of our total residents. And we can look at someone like Shell, who's our our largest customer, and wonder whether that's reasonable or not. But in any event, uh, even Shell, we keep to a 20% cap. Our largest customers are are investment-grade Shell, their guitar, um, and then we we have Yamal, which has been very busy right now, uh, the export side. And we have um, our fourth largest customer, I think, currently is Shaneer, I think. That's um, again one of the customers which is rolling off. So we've just refixed one of their ships, and uh, that was it's redelivering in May, and that will go to another customer. And so I think Shaneer will no longer be our our uh, in that top uh, top five, is my recollection. I don't know if you have a better uh, uh, Scott. Do you have uh, the information on that or not? I'm not sure.
3: No, I think you hit them.
2: So I think we have a strong. In in, in essence, Jay, I think we have a. Strong uh, counterparty that we're, that's not going to be a major concern if they're investment grade or they're 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 doing well.
1: Yeah, I think it's just uh, obviously you know a concern of investors when they look at the stock price and they say, wow, the stock price is off by 50 percent. And you know, I, I think of course you zoom out and you look at the energy space and everything is off by 50 percent, if not 75 or even 90 percent, right? But I, I think you know if we're used to a sort of efficient market. Right. And, and you look at a space and you see a stock down 50% and you say, well, it must be for some reason. Right. So you, you start hunting for these reasons. And I think one of the clear, obvious risks, right, would be that $10 billion backlog and, and how strong your counterparties are. So appreciate you fleshing that out a little bit. Um, I know in the past, uh, there were some issues. Uh, they got, they got worked through, but there were some issues, of course, with a Wilco, uh, which ended up actually a very happy end to that story, but it was a challenge. Right. And you, I think you handled it well. And then there was an issue with Scowgan right, which was not necessarily a happy, happy ending uh, to that story. Um, I, I don't, uh, I know you probably don't want to maybe name or shame any specific counterparty, maybe it's just one or two on small vessels. Uh, but is there any exposure in your uh, backlog to similar type, non-investment grade, weaker counterparties like the types of Scaggin or Wilco, or has that been cleaned up?
2: The uh, so, so far, a oh, Wilco, if we just deal with that, that did turn out to be um, all things well that end well. And that turned out to be a pretty good deal, deal for us. Not that I'm suggesting we would necessarily do that structure again, but that worked out, as you say, pr- pretty well for us. Um, we're glad we don't have those two ships on spot exposure. So that, that and we're paid back with interest in full. The Scalgan fleet is still somewhat of an issue. It's not a huge uh, investment for us, it's worth about half of an LNG carrier. But I can't say it's gotten much better. It's better than it was a couple of years ago when we first repossessed it. But unlike the LPG fleet we have with XMark, the semi-ref fleet that is our XGalgen fleet is struggling a bit. It seems to be affected by by coronavirus rates, just like pressurized and uh, some other sectors are in in, in uh, LPG. And so we're experiencing. Just to give you an idea, uh, we have seven ships and. The rates are about $2,000 per day lower right now than what we had expected at this point. So so not not hugely significant when we look at having, you know, another 47 LMG carriers, but that's the kind of uh, exposure I think we're we're seeing. It's non-core business, but neither do I think there are any buyers this year. We're looking at it. We'll see what we're going to do over the, over the next couple of years. Um, but that's, that's one of the weaker points we have. But again, it's a small point. Um, but back to your point of of the stock price, it's it seems very irrational. Um, most of our book is, or I should say, everything we have is booked. Almost uh, we have the ten billion dollars, and it's it's over eleven years. So it is really a decoupling. We're trading at a at a at a PE multiple of less than less than three times right now. And um, I realize that people are are not really looking at earnings, but I do believe, and Scott, if, if you could. Uh, add in what well, your thoughts are. We have very strong earnings and we should not be trading that, that we are right now.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a significant uh, discount. And of course, I know you're, you're shifting now to a more, I guess, a more normalized metrics of adjusted earnings and so on. But I mean, even if we go back to, you know, DCF, uh, distributable cash flow, I mean, you're trading around two times. Uh, DCF. So it, it, it's just uh, just a remarkable multiple, uh, right? And I, but again, I, I think we're seeing that across the entire energy space. So it's it's you know I definitely believe uh, TGB is attractive and cheap. I'm I'm along the stock for disclosure, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but just also for context, I, I mean, it is uh, it's the entire market's falling apart here. Um, I, th- I think we covered the financial risks uh, fairly well. Can, but let's- can I
2: just add one thing to that, Jay? Which is yeah, sure you're thanks. right. This this. This is affecting the entire market, but, and, and I'm beyond shipping, obviously. This isn't affecting everything that the trades. But there is a difference right now, I think, to some extent, between TGP and, and some other industries What I've, I've seen. In the last two days or so, I've been seeing a lot of companies in various industries come out and say, you know what? I'm suspending guidance. And, and I just want to repeat that we're not suspending guidance right now, and, and we're certainly not suspending our distribution. And so we do have a confidence in our earnings. And never say never. We're, we're not suspending our guidance, and we still think we're going to hit our guidance. So that's, 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 that's how we feel about our versus what during this period.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mark. I appreciate you coming out and, and making that statement that, look, I mean, we're still on guidance. Everything is secure. I, it, that transitions perfectly to the next question I'm going to ask is, and, and I'm kind of circling back to the other half of that, which is the force majeure, right? It's a, it's a term that's floating all around. And as you mentioned, you, you haven't seen any of that actually happen. Uh, to your customers and to your cargoes. Uh, but you also mentioned that you're going to deep dive into that next week. Uh, what do you mean by that? Do you mean that you're going to put out a presentation, you know, reviewing the market, or do you mean that you're, you know, somewhat concerned about that? Uh, can, can you just maybe uh, sort of clarify what you meant by that and and, and what sort of potential exposure you might have?
2: We're, we're just looking internally, just looking through all the contracts, not that we've received a sign, at all. But we're gonna be looking through all the contracts, reviewing them again this week and just make sure that there's nothing in there if 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 something should come at us that we're fully prepared. But no, it's it's just a preparatory thing and we've we have no reason to believe at this point that we need to look at any specific contract or any at this point. So it's just good housekeeping.
1: Yeah, it's it's always good to keep the house uh, nice and clean. Uh, of course, uh, you know, hopefully your lawyers and and accountants and whatnot from many years ago had built a good foundation for you. Um, but yeah, based on the you know merits and, and structure of, of your contracts, uh, don't expect anything either. I think we we had uh, Michael Weber on the line yesterday. We were talking about uh, backlogs and force majeure as well, and and that is sort of the industry understanding. Uh, but I would encourage you that once you've completed that, done your due diligence, made sure all the ducks are in a row, um, I would encourage you to maybe come out with a presentation or a statement or something. Um, I I think it's good in these sort of markets, right? You you mentioned how some of your peers are coming out and they're saying, we're suspending guidance, which is, you know, maybe they have to do that. Um, but it's exactly the wrong message for investors in this situation. I think the right message is: Look, we've went through all our contracts. There is, you know, no risk, or or maybe there's one contract, right? And you just come out and and, and let folks know. So is that something we might see in, in the coming weeks?
2: I think one of the differences between folks who suspend uh, guidance is not necessarily that they're they're getting uncomfortable with long-term contracts that they don't have, and so they can no longer rely on their support spot cast of previous. So um, that's that's my guess.
1: All right, Mark, I appreciate that. Let's let's kind of start pivoting. I think maybe we'll get Scott a chance to talk a little bit here as we, we start talking about sure. capital allocation. Um, and, and no, I didn't mean that as we've heard enough from you, Mark, but I do, I do want to uh, shift into the, I guess, the other half of the equation, right? We've talked big picture. Um, now let's kind of pivot. Um, how has this market because we we talked capital allocation for years, right? But how has this market in particular changed those priorities or, or have they changed? Is there any sort of updates investors should know about where TK is putting uh, excess liquidity? Sure. Maybe I'll start with that one, Mark. Um, you know, Jay,
3: I don't, I don't think that it really has uh, changed anything right now. Uh, we did lay out a detailed capital uh, allocation plan a number of uh, quarters ago, and I really think that it holds true in today's volatile market. Uh, Our primary priority was and continues to be delevering of our balance sheet, and we did make good progress in 2019. Uh, We delevered from nearly eight times at the end of 2018 down to 6.4 by the end of 19, and and that's going to continue. We are amortizing about 300 million uh, of uh, debt per year, Uh, so our delevering efforts are really going to keep going. Um, And then, as Mark said earlier, we do see that we'll be adding uh, EBITDA this year, be somewhere between 65. Uh, to $100 million, depending on our uh, guidance range that we released and we're still comfortable with. So the, the, the comp- compounding effect of both of those is that our delevering efforts are just going to con- continue. And then if we look at kind of adding value uh, where we can around the outsides, um, you know, obviously returning capital to unit holders is, is part of that uh, balanced capital allocation plan. And you know, on our foundation of, of market-leading distribution coverage, uh, what you mentioned, and long-term contracted cash flows, uh, we are going to increase our distribution by 32% to a buck uh, per unit per year this quarter. Uh, and we're continuing to opportunistically repurchase our units. Uh, and I think in the long run, um, sticking to these priorities will really serve us um, and our investors well. And then maybe the last part I'll mention is if we look at sort of you know, growth secured by these long-term charters that Mark was talking about, um, you know, because these have been pushed out, uh, it's really just not as much of a focus, and and so really we will look at the opportunities, but for the most part I think between uh, delevering, buying stock back, and dividends, that's really where we're going to be putting our uh, our capital over the next uh, number of quarters, um, especially as these uh, we're we're suffering through these volatile times.
1: Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for walking us through that, Scott. I, you know, I cringe every time I'm on a a quarterly results call or, or, you know, a a call with analysts or whatever. And and it always comes up like growth, growth, growth. And it's like, well, you guys just completed a massive four year, five year growth program. Right. I mean, let's, let's just focus on managing the current assets. So I'm really glad to hear that uh, just directly from you, that growth is sort of not at all a priority in this market. Um, so when you raise your dividend to a dollar basically per share, 25 cents a quarter, uh, I mean that's a that's a 13% yield, right? I mean as I'm as we're talking live, it's uh, it's about to be 11 o'clock Eastern here. Um, you know your shares are like $7.55, right? So it, it's an enormous yield. Um, that is covered um, by DCF and by earnings, but by DCF it's covered uh, roughly about four times. Um, so, are you, I guess, reiterating? I, it never hurts to do it again. You're reiterating that dividend is 100% stable and uh, you're going to continue doing that throughout 2020 and beyond.
3: Yeah, no, I think that you're absolutely correct. And uh, to put it slightly differently, uh, it's also only about 30% of net income. And so, you know, whether you're, whatever metrics you want to use, uh, we do look at that dividend as being extremely secure. And as Mark mentioned earlier, it's backed by uh, nearly 100% fixed rate contracts. And so we have no, uh, plans to do anything with our uh, dividend except to uh, continue doing what we said we would do, and, and that's increasing it this quarter.
1: Good, good. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's totally different. Uh, and Mark mentioned it earlier, but it's different than the posture I think a lot of companies have taken, where they are you know whining or complaining that they're not getting credit for their dividends, and that therefore they're you know self-fulfilling prophecy, right? They cut their dividend, or they they just cannot afford it. Right, so I think I think it's it's an interesting uh, parallel there. Um, last year, you, you you did some repurchases, and you you mentioned you know we're going to be very opportunistic was the word you used, and your your sort of average repurchase range was twelve or thirteen dollars a unit, right? And I think thirteen was kind of the you, you I don't think you officially said it, but I think thirteen was sort of one kind of the the kind of implied. A zone of opportunism, right? Thirteen bucks. Well, you know, shares are seven bucks now, right? So, um, how does that impact uh, your ability to repurchase? Are you repurchasing? You know, willing to repurchase a similar dollar amount or even higher dollar amount? Uh, does that unit price uh, impact anything here?
3: Uh, no, I, I think that we see a big disconnect between where our units are trading today and obviously the intrinsic value, and so uh, we will be continuing to to repurchase these units. And as you said, I think our our average price was obviously a lot higher uh, previous to this. And so I think you can imagine that we're we're continuing and trying to take advantage of this weakness.
1: Yeah, thanks, Scott. So so when we see the Q1 results, and, and hopefully the Q1 is a little bit faster than Q4, I know you had some some uh, differences with the annual reports, but you know I'm expecting to see those Q1 results, uh, I would imagine, the very early May, uh, right? So basically six or seven weeks. Um, when we see those Q1 results, it's fair to say that we'll see... Uh, we'll see you following through. We'll see clear repurchases there. Uh, that's correct. Excellent. And I think that just goes to, to show, I mean, for investors on the call and whatnot, um, you know, how ridiculously difficult this environment of the stock market is um, when you're basically, hey, we are repurchasing and, and the shares are still um, really getting slammed. But, you know, long-term, that's, a, that's ironically, long-term, that's a good thing, right? If, if you are actively repurchasing, uh, we should hope the stock stays lower so you can repurchase more units in the short term. Right, so so I just encourage you to stay with it um, and, and take advantage of that. Um, any updates? Um, I, I know you probably can't speak directly to the the knock bond, but I know you got 130 million one coming up in May. Um, maybe just generally speaking, is that market open or is it slam shut?
3: Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I think it's important to keep in mind you know, right up front uh, is that we're currently sitting on over 430 million of liquidity. Uh, which is far more uh, than would be needed to simply pay that off uh, in its entirety. Uh, so let's be 100% clear this is not a question of whether we can deal with maturity, but rather which option we choose to take. So, with that upfront, uh, we did have a successful non deal roadshow in later January, and we received positive feedback, but obviously times are very different today than they were then. Um, and so, you know, there have been some redemptions in Norway. Uh, we are seeing some pricing power, uh, pricing difficulties in the bonds, uh, and so never say never. But you know, markets can turn quickly. Uh, but right now, uh, we're not counting on that market to be open uh, for us to uh, refinance in May. And so, I think what we'll do is we'll simply pay it off uh, with a relatively small portion of the you know, roughly 430 million of liquidity that we are sitting on.
1: Yeah, that that makes sense, Scotty. You mentioned four hundred thirty million of liquidity, and I think the knock bond. Is, correct me if I'm misspeaking, but one hundred thirty million. So even if you paid that one hundred percent cash, you would have about three hundred million plus internal operating cash flow. Is that is that about right? Yes. Yeah. So so definitely significant to have three hundred million of excess liquidity um, when your entire market cap is you know. Uh, not even double that, right? <laughs> 600 million. So, so very interesting there. Um, You, you also have a revolver, um, correct, that's coming up at the end of 2020. Is there any uh, sort of timeline on when that would normally be extended? Yeah,
3: uh, I think uh, that you can assume, I think we mentioned on a call, that that'll be done uh, much earlier than November. And uh, so we are actually uh, in the middle of that now and uh, getting some great uptake uh, from all of our banks. And I do expect that to be uh, done uh, prior to uh, reporting earnings in May.
1: And just to clarify, uh, ideally before the re- earnings in May, you're talking about the, the December or late uh, 2020 revolver there, correct?
3: That's correct. Sorry. Yeah, we we expect to have that done within the next couple of uh, weeks or, or months and uh, have had good uptake and uh, I think we, we probably are, are maybe good or lucky, a little bit of both, that we started it uh, very early and we're at the front of the queue, as you would say. Uh, you know, it sounds like there's been a, a huge run on the, the banks from all different industries looking for some short-term liquidity. And uh, we were ahead of that. And so we're hoping that that will uh, work out well for us and uh, we'll be able to finish this in the next uh, couple of weeks here.
1: Excellent. Yeah, that's that's good to see because once you, you know, extend that revolver and I I know the terms depend, right? But um if there was any way to do like a 2-year extension or something as opposed to year after year after year, I think that would also help uh, placate the markets there. But right, if you take out that yeah. revolver, um you, then you have $300 million of of clear liquidity, um, operating cash flow well in excess of amortization and your dividend, right? Um so that liquidity is all only going upwards. Um, and then you're looking at your stock, which is in the sevens as we're speaking. Um, and, and, but we're also looking at your preferreds. And as we're talking right now on the line, uh, your preferreds uh, are trading between, you know, mid-14s and mid-16s uh, out of a 25 par. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, those are equities, right? Not bonds. I mean, there's a difference. But, I mean, those are yielding 14%. And, and that is, you know, I, 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 you, you've, you've pounded the table on how stable and safe your common distribution is. But preferred is is one step safer yet, right? And so it's just an enormous market disconnect, right? Um, Is there any capacity to repurchase or to even do a tender offer uh, for some of those preferreds? Yeah, uh, I I think you're right. And we we do watch those as well. And and,
3: uh, I think I've messed up my um, analogies in the past, but sometimes preferreds... uh, can be looked at as equity and debt clothing or something like that. And and it is a call on uh, earnings and cash flow from the uh, common equity. And uh, given where it is trading right now, and that, uh, as you said, I I did the math last night and it's probably come down, but in that 13, 14% range and and obviously a lot more than that on a yield to call basis, um, it is a great opportunity for us to uh, add value and actually increase uh, free cash flow, which is, is accretive to all of our common unit holders. So, uh, I think the important thing to remember, as you said, we're, we're generating a lot of free cash flow, which gives us uh, optionality and really just gives us a number of options for us to look at, you know, that we can create value for unit holders. And I'd say that repurchasing some of those uh, would be one of those uh, options in front of us.
1: Yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting uh, to look at that in, in this market. And, you know, is there a, uh, I guess it. Well, I mean, I, it's, I guess it's not even a question in a sense, but, you know, if you're buying back preferreds at $15 to a 25 par, I know it's not the same as debt, right? But it's a hybrid, um, but that's, you know, you're basically buying dollars, right, of, of, of net asset value for 60 cents, right? So yeah. it's not even, I mean, with the share price, it, it's the same kind of concept, right, of repurchasing units, but with the preferred, I mean, it's locked in, right? There's, it doesn't even matter what happens with your underlying assets right? I mean, it's, it's just significant, significant arbitrage. So um, I know you're looking into that. Uh, I just hope that maybe we'll see something for Because I'm speaking on this, I don't own any preferreds, but I'm speaking on this from a common perspective, um, that, you know, everything you buy there at $15 is amazing, right? If, if the preferreds were 21 or 22 or 23, and you know, the common seven, um, I'd probably be, you know, well, whatever it was by the common, but I, I don't think I've ever seen anything. Like this, uh, and and I'm younger, but I've been in the market since 2007, and I, I've never seen a preferred from a company with 10 billion of backlog, um, and, and clear contracts uh, trading at, at that sort of discount.
3: No, I uh, I think I think we're probably in the same uh, camp that you are, and it does present us with an opportunity, and uh, and taking those is actually accretive to uh, equity. And it's also creative to our Norwegian bondholders we spoke about earlier. I know that they are uh, not big fans of having that slice of paper in there. And uh, so I think during this time of of, of, extreme volatility and uh, whereas our business is very stable, I think that we do have the ability to uh, kind of optimize our balance sheet. And so I think those are the steps we'll be taking over the next while here.
1: Certainly, definitely, definitely appreciate that. I, I know you've mentioned that growth is is pretty much off the table for now, um, and 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 that just is it just makes so much sense, right? But have you looked at any sort of equities or vehicles um, into other companies? Uh, is there is there anything on the table in terms of a sort of consolidation or a sort of uh, equity play or something like that, or is that also off the table?
2: Uh, I think it's too early right now to look at that. There's a lot of shifting going on, Jay. So I, that's not the focus for um, the next
1: at least the next few weeks okay definitely definitely makes sense I, I think there's some there's some other preferreds out there that <laughs> might be uh, might be an interesting uh, pickup if you guys start uh, getting in into markets with your excess liquidity but anyways we, we won't go there I, folks can make their own conclusions um let's turn back uh, to the other side of the market one more time we, we talked about LNG uh, let's talk about LPG. You got that joint venture with Xmar. Um, what sort of impacts are we seeing there? Are those rates holding up or are they coming back with this uh, coronavirus and China impact?
2: The mid-size sector that we're in um, with Xmar LPG seems to be holding up. We're first of all, we're over 60% fixed there again in 2020. So in terms of LPG shipping companies, it's it's pretty fixed out. The mid-size is always more stable than the VLs or the the sectors underneath it's probably the most uh stable sector there is which is why we initially got into it as TGP. so it's stable and we're 60 uh fixed but yeah the the, the rates are are uh, are forecast there seem to be in order for the year um as i said the semi-reps have come off um but the, the midsize seem to be uh seem to be okay
1: all right, thanks for that. I appreciate it, Mark. Yeah, yeah. It, it, when we looked at twenty nineteen, it was like quarter after quarter. You know, there were slight improvements, right, in the EBITDA that was flowing through, and it, it looks like we might be, you know, flattening out there. But but certainly a year over year, a, a, a definitely improvement. So that'll be that'll be good to see.
2: Um, That's so just, what we have. We have basically a stable twenty twenty versus the uptick you've been seeing.
1: Okay, so so basically in line uh, with the guidance yep. that you've already issued and all that sort of thing. No no real change. Correct. Okay, excellent. Um, at what point in the market, because I know 96%, I, th- I think you said covered for 2020, at what point of the year of the market uh, do you have to start coming back to the table in terms of looking at 21 and 22 um, expirations? Is that something that you can wait until you know, the summer or the fall or the winter? Or what sort of time frame do you have when when those rates actually do start to matter?
2: Yeah, it's a little while. So if we look into the specifics of it, we have um, the two ships that we have with our Mir- Mirabeni Joint Venture come up in June. Now, on the last turn's call, we were talking about having uh, three ships with Malt available. We have just fixed out one that uh, Chenier will be will deliver in Q2. And so we've redeployed that ship for uh, for, for one year. And um, so now we're down to two for the latter half of this year. The next significant ships we have, again, are, are Chenier uh, redeliveries. Those are well into 2021. So um I think in terms of timelines we will over the next um probably the next quarter be looking at the two ships, and it'll be next year before we would need to think about um, um, any uh, the two sh- the two Meggies the two two stroke ships that we own coming off from from Chenier. In the meantime we are always looking at long term charters for those. So um the three to five or seven year charters, we would hope to compete with those, but those don't start up typically till 2023, 20, 24 onward. But it's going to be, it's going to be a while before we have to, uh, to, to think about, um, redeployment for those.
1: Certainly. Okay. Thank you for giving us some sort of benchmark of something to look to. And I'm, I'm sure as we go through, right, the Q1 call in May and the uh, the Q2 call in August, Q3 in November, we can get more and more color and updates on on those as it becomes more appropriate. Um, so So thanks for taking a stab at, as we can, right? Um, so I guess one last sort of focus on the dividend and and, and repurchase and that sort of thing. Um, you know, we've seen a very troubling trend from some of your peers. Um, and and understandably, some of the guidances went away and and because maybe they don't have long-term contracts. We've also seen a very troubling trend of this sort of banter or position or just weird logic of like, hey, the, the market is not rewarding us for our high distribution, our high yield. Uh, therefore, we're going to cut it. <laughs> right? And it never works out well. Right. I mean, it just then you cut it and then the market just punishes you and then you whine that you're not. You know, you've seen it from so many of your peers. I haven't heard it from you guys. Um, Can we get a confirmation uh, from you guys that as long as the industry itself doesn't change, right? As long as your contracts don't change, as long as everything remains solid like we've talked about. um, Look, TGP is 750. If we wake up in May and TGP is three bucks or four bucks a unit. And let's be honest, we don't know we've seen crazier things, um, that we're not going to hear that sort of logic from you guys. Can we get a confirmation of that?
2: Scott, are you first?
1: Sure. Yeah,
3: I think, you know, let, let's upfront say that the, ultimately this is a board matter, so uh, uh, we can give our views. Uh, but I think, you know, if we look at that in a vacuum, I, I would say that that can probably seem tempting. Uh, to look at cutting your distribution in in order to buy back your stock, which is trading so far under intrinsic value. Um, And maybe that adds more long-term value for unit holders. But uh, I I really think we would continue to do what we're doing, which is really a bit of both, um, and really add value through the sustainability uh, of our long-term capital allocation decisions. Um, I think the predictability of our distributions to unit holders, uh, including TK, who's our our largest uh, investor, uh, is something that we have done a lot of work to fortify, um, and our unit holders can count on us to provide that reliable distribution stream, uh, not just most of the time, uh, but really with consistency now and into the future.
2: Yeah, I, I would add to that, Scott, and, and maybe not add to it, but just supplementing less eloquently, we've been working hard since we caught our distribution last time to build Build up the trust, and um, I hope we've done it. I don't really see it in our stock price today, but I think we are building the trust. And that goes for earnings, and it goes for our, our project execution and our financing, and it also goes for the distribution. As Scott said, it's ultimately a board matter, but um, we've been working hard, and I, we have, as management, no intention to cut this distribution. That's uh, something hopefully folks can rely on.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you very much for that reiteration. It's just, I, I think we've just seen it so many times uh, from other companies um, that it's that it is, you know, good to see that uh, because we don't know. This is a volatile market. I mean, as we're talking, you know, it's it's the morning of uh, March eighteenth. Uh, it's about eleven ten Eastern for folks listening later on the recording. I'm just looking out across my screen. Uh, I have the. You know, ability here to be on my desktop and you know at tgp you know the stock obviously you guys um you're having a tough day right you guys are down you know eight or nine percent uh, but look i mean herg right solid company herg lng does fsrus i mean they're down 46 percent today um you know without any clear news uh Gaslog partners is down 25 percent today without any clear news um so just across the entire space there is unrelenting carnage um, and, and it, all the preferreds, I mean, you guys, uh, we were, I was whining or not whining, but I was uh, You're saying your preferreds are so cheap, right? They're 15, 16 bucks, but look, gas preferreds are $7, right? So, I mean, it, it is just a massive, massive pain market. And I think investors are getting doubly slammed because not only are their equity values, you know, falling, but you have management that is starting to be shell-shocked. Um, so I, I, I I'll be done holding court and pontificating. So appreciate you guys' patience, but it is good, right? To hear it from you guys that you are sticking to that policy and especially that you're active, right? In this market. And maybe maybe that is, I mean, you know, you're saying you're repurchasing. I know you can't say exactly how much, but look, you guys are down eight or 9%. Herg is down 45%. Um, so so keep it up. Uh, thank you for your hard work.
2: Thank you very much, Jay. And uh, take care. Appreciate it very much. And thanks to all the investors. And same goes to you. Take care.
1: Excellent. Thanks again, Mark. Thanks again, Scott. We'll, we'll keep in close touch. All right. That concludes another edition of our live investor forum focusing on coronavirus and specific sectors within the markets. Today, we hosted TK LNG Partners uh, to discuss the LNG markets and more specifically their exposure to long-term backlogs and, and any sort of concerns there. Um, as I mentioned, we are recording on the morning of 18 March 2020 as the uh, market carnage continues. A disclosure, I do have a long exposure to TGP and some other related exposure in the LNG industry. Nothing you heard on the call today constitutes investment advice in any form nor official company guidance.